Well, Father, it's with great anticipation that we take our Bibles and we open them and we study your word to hear from you. Father, thank you for how valuable and worthwhile and meaningful it is for us to gather to sing and to encourage one another to pray together, and then to hear your word. And Lord, I just pray that as we sit quietly and, and we engage our minds and open our hearts to your Holy Spirit to prod and to work upon us, that it would be nothing other than an extension and ongoing worship uh, this morning. That, that this would be a, just a, a most precious time together in our weekly routine on this Lord's Day morning. Father, thank you for the ways that you work in us. We recognize that there are many needs represented in our congregation today. And we also recognize that your Holy Spirit and your word is so applicable in so many ways that you'll take the word and use it to encourage and to strengthen, to build up and to convict. And we commit ourselves, Lord, to the to the hearing and the doing of the word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, we're on commandment number four. If you're new with us, we're in a series on the Ten Commandments. And I've called this commandment the Forgotten Commandment because of all the Ten Commandments, commandment number four, this command to remember the Sabbath, is one that is overlooked by the church. What's that all about? Before we dig in, I want to remind you of a story that I've shared with you before. I have a picture, actually, of uh, my good friend, Dr. Bethel, at Appalachian Bible College's son, Matthew, and his wife, Melanie. And this is an actual photo of the very moment in their wedding, of the wedding kiss. If you look closely, you can see the minister's head behind them. I've told you this story before, how... Um, about 12 years ago or so when they were married, I happened to be on campus and my good friend Chuck invited me into his office and he had the wedding album. This was his oldest son, Matthew, who, is, who has been a tremendous um, uh, fighter pilot in the U.S. Air Force for the last 10 years, flying F-15 Eagles all over the world. And um, anyway, Matthew and Melanie were married 12 years ago or so and Chuck opened that wedding album and he showed me. And we got to this page. Remember, I've told you, you've heard this story before. And we got to this page and Chuck got real still and his eyes watered. And he said, Van, he said, I didn't know it at the time. He said, but after the wedding, when we were looking at the pictures, Matthew told me that's the first time he ever kissed Melanie. I thought, man, isn't that great? Now, I like that story because it's a great testimony to our young people. You can do it and how valuable that could be and, and helpful to you. But I also was reminded of something that Chuck told me. He said, Van, he said, going into their wedding, the last 100 days before their wedding, for every day for 100 days, Matthew delivered a love note to Melanie. Those kind of guys are hard on guys like me, I think. (laughs) How great is that? Every girl here goes, Aww. Aww. But here's what I want us to get from this. I want you to have a mindset as we dig into God's Word today on the fourth commandment and even maintain this mindset for the duration of our study, but particularly today, two thoughts from Matthew and Melanie's love story. One is that love is not about convenience, it's about commitment. It's not convenient to write a hundred 
days worth of love notes. And a lot of guys would argue it's not very convenient to not kiss your fiance until your wedding day. But it's not about convenience, is it? It is about being committed to the core, to that individual, and, and how that motivates you to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. The second thing that Matt and Melanie's love story teaches us is the simple principle that true love is never a burden, right? When you're in love and it's true love, your burden is light, isn't it? And you will willingly inconvenience yourself out of love for that person. And so let's remind ourselves of the importance of being driven by love for God in our obedience to the commands of God. And that would be Matthew chapter 22. So turn there, please, if you haven't already. Matthew chapter 22. And we will read beginning again at verse 34. And we have weekly been reminding ourselves that, that at, the, at the core of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue that we're studying in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 is where they're listed, that God gave us these ten words... Out of love for us, and it is out of love for God that we would respond and our obedience would be a joy. God never tells us or asks us to do things that are burdensome by intent. They're only burdensome to us when we're not walking with Him, when our face is not turned towards Him, and when our heart is not full of love towards Him, then the law of the Lord is a burden, not a delight. Matthew chapter 22 reminds us as well, as we've been stating weekly, how Jesus, when the Pharisees tried to entrap him with a trick question, pointed right to the fact that the law is about love and being driven by love, not about the jot and tittle of every obedience of it. Um, I don't know if that came out quite right, but my point is it's not to be a burden to obey, but Jesus, in restating what the commandments were all about, states so clearly that they have everything to do with our love for God and our love for one another. And I think we've been saying this weekly. Verse 34, chapter 22 of Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question. You can kind of see his mind turning, right? I have a great question. I have a great question. Which one, teacher, of, is the great commandment in the law? He's wanting to trap Jesus. They don't believe he's the Son of God. And they want to trap him by saying that one part of the Word of God is more important than another part of the Word of God. And Jesus says to them, here it is. This is what's important. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. You see, the Pharisees were caught up in legalism. They were caught up in every detail of the law. In fact, they had divided um, the categories of the law, uh, the law into categories. And um, in one section of the law had 39 categories just about how the law applied to your daily work. They were not driven by love for God. They were driven by a self-righteousness, by trying to do things right so that somehow God would be pleased with them and they were missing the whole point. God had given them the law to teach them how to love Him. When they had divided the law into these categories, and it, was, it, got, it got silly. Remember, this is a long time Centuries after the law was given to Moses, now in the time of Christ, the Pharisees are distorting 
and corrupting the law and making up all their own rules, thinking that they're keeping the law, having their checklists, and they came up with ridiculous laws based upon things like commandment number four, where we're going to find out that on the Sabbath day, which means rest, Sabbath means rest, and it's not Sunday, let's make that clear, the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, so it would be Saturday. Some of you didn't even know that, did you? And Sabbath is Saturday, and so they were commanded not to work on the seventh day. Six days to work, one day for Sabbath rest, and they were not to work. And so, of course, they focused on their work, and they had like 39 different categories that they broke the law down and made up their own rules as to what this looked like in everyday life. If I'm not supposed to work on the Sabbath, then what is work? And so they decided that picking up heavy things would be work. And so they said in one of their rules on their list, they said that anything that is heavier than half of a fig, I read in one place, is picking up a burden so you can't do that. And they made up rules like um, you can't do your chores or your work in a sense. Like one, one rule that I noticed that I thought was funny... Um, what, because Janet likes radishes and I don't. It, but it, it said if you take a radish and you rub it in salt, you can only do it for so long and then pick it up and eat it. You're allowed to do that. But if you let it stay there in the salt, that violates the Sabbath and you've sinned because that's pickling it. And that would be work. And one that I thought was hilarious, and I'm, I, don't, I read it in a commentary. I assume it's true, um, but I'm no expert on on the law here and the breakdown of pharisaical um, law-keeping and, and their own set of rules, only what's in Scripture. And you know that the Scripture expands significantly on the law in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Significant breakdown of much of the, much of the volume of the Pentateuch is in the living out of the law and what that looks like and with the feasts and with the holy days and how they were to behave and how they were to be different than people around them. And one, but one rule that I said under, I read under labor and how this was to look, how we're to have rest on the seventh day and we're not to work. It's, it gave the illustration that even if the family matriarch, so grandma, even if she fell down and was in a ditch or fell down on the ground out and outside, that you couldn't use a stretcher with wooden handles because if you went to pick up grandma with a stretcher with wooden handles when you set the stretcher down and were trying to position her on the stretcher, you might gouge the earth with your wooden handles and that would be considered plowing and plowing is work. And so I guess Granny had to just lay out there until after dark, and then you could get her up. I don't know. But that's how ridiculous it became. It just became ridiculous. Okay, so what does God mean? What is this Sabbath command? And what, how does it apply to the church? And we work on Saturdays. Keep in mind that the pattern of Having a weekend, the way we understand it in our Western world, is, was foreign to this day. In this part of the world, there was no such thing as... There was a six, seven days, just every day was the same. It was God's people who became distinct. It was God's people, by God, defining what this certain day was to entail. Well, let's dig into the Word. Let's go to Exodus 20, and let's look. And, and as we do, let's, let's remind ourselves and keep this mindset that... When we love someone, our burden is light. Let's put the commands up on the board as we turn back to Exodus chapter 20. And let's remind ourselves of where we are in our list. And we're trying to memorize our, our commandments. And um, 
And so let's take a minute as we dig in and let's review our Ten Commandments. Let's begin with number one. Here we go. Ready? Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. Number three, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God Now our command for today, I call it the forgotten commandment, because we don't practice this in the church. Number four, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. The first thing I want us to do is read our text. And Roman number one one of our outline today is to ask ourselves, well, what is God saying about this? Let's first of all, let's understand what God is saying. Okay, number one, what is God saying? We're in Exodus chapter 20. In this first giving of the law, and we're beginning with verse 8, let's read our text, and then let's break it down and let's understand what is God saying to us and to Israel of old. Verse 8, Exodus 20, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. The word means rest. It's to be a rest. Notice. To the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Right away, that should just raise some questions in our minds. Is there one day of the week that is more holy than the rest? If it's the Sabbath, as God has just declared, why do we call Sunday Sabbath when it's the seventh day and this is the first day? Why, Why are we not concerned about keeping the Sabbath? Because I hear nothing of it. We all work on Saturdays. Most of us now are pretty comfortable doing an awful lot of things on Sunday. What is this all about? Well, what is God saying? First of all, let's break it down. First of all, and, and it is kind of interesting, I want you to see that it's extensive and, it, and it's interesting and it'll kind of catch your attention, first of all, because, number one, it's occupational. It deals with our work and we're all about our work, aren't we? Our lives center on our work. For some of us, if you let us, we would just work all the time. We would never stop. And some of you wives, you think that's your husband, don't you? He's just working all the time. Others of you wives, you wish that were your husband. But we'll not go there right now. So number one, you need to see that it's occupational. It deals with our work. Look what he says. You shall labor six days and do all your work. So we have six days. Okay? We have Sunday through Friday to do all of our work, six days, we crank it out, but he says the seventh day, no work. So the first thing we have to do is we have to pay attention to our work. When are we working and when are we not working if we're understanding the Sabbath command? Not only is it occupational, but I want you to see that God is saying that this is a relational command. It's re- number two, it's relational. Look at, look at, it's all about God and it's all about paying attention to him because look what he says. You'll labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath. Now notice the next phrase. To whom? To the Lord your God. It's not for me. Well, it is for me. We're going to find out that God doesn't do things 
to just jerk our chain or to mess with us, but God always has our best interest in mind. But this command is given for us to stop our work, and then it's relational. It's to the Lord your God. Somehow the Sabbath is related, he hasn't told us yet, but somehow the Sabbath is related to thinking about God. Somehow the Sabbath is a time where I am to not fill my life with other things, and it is to be unto the Lord. The third thing I want you to see out of the passage is that it's generational. It's generational. Look what he says. He says, On it, the middle of verse 10, you shall not do any work. So it's you and your son or your daughter, not just for adults. Oh, how many of you grew up in a home where Sunday afternoons were torture? Because in your parents' or grandparents' mind, they took... Sabbath principles, and they rolled it over to Sunday. By the way, there's no instruction in Scripture anywhere to tell us to do that. But I can remember being on vacation out in Iowa to my uncle's farm. And um, he pastored a church, and he was a beef farmer out in, in Iowa. And we went out there when I was maybe nine years old. And all the adults were there, and a bunch of family was there. And we went to church on Sunday morning. We ate Sunday dinner, and then... Everybody just kind of sat in a chair and kind of dozed off. And there were about three or four of us young cousins that were like, what's up now? And every time we tried to do something, we'd either get whistled back, told to be quiet, snapped at, told to sit down. So what's that all about? And it wasn't so bad at my house personally, but when we were there together that Sunday, I can just remember that just being the longest afternoon. What is that all about? Well, it's the Sabbath, right? No, it's not. It's Sunday afternoon, but somehow in our minds it's supposed to be different. And I think they wanted even nine-year-olds to sit down and think about God. Well, I'll bet you nine-year-olds could do that. Actually, and in right here, somehow God is implying it's not just to be you, but it's to be your whole family. It's not only to be your whole family generationally, but it's to be everybody who's under your watch. Look at your daughter, your male servant, your female servant. Look at, and even your livestock. Even your livestock. What's he talking about? I suspect that part of it is you're not supposed to hitch up your oxen and plow, right? Boy, we have these rules, don't we? Um, Last week, I commented that Janet and I left. And if you prayed for us, thank you. We had a successful afternoon. Got home about 9.30 Sunday night from a funeral in Preston County, West Virginia, of a family friend there that had passed away. That's my deer hunting territory. That's my in-law's growing up territory. My father-in-law's, Janet's dad's growing up territory. And he has a brother, Uncle John, who is now with the Lord. He did his funeral about two years ago. And he had a farm. Uncle John has a farm. And that's where when I'm gone in Thanksgiving time, I'm deer hunting up there. And Uncle John would tell me the same stories every year for like 28 years that I deer hunted up there. You have an uncle like that? Every year, sit down after supper and eating dessert, and Uncle John's telling stories, and you've heard them a hundred times. But it's good, and I wish I could hear him again. And one of the things Uncle John would always talk about is how, no matter how important it was, and he had, 
He was convinced. I'm telling you, it was strong in him. You do not farm on Sundays. Because if you do, you can almost guarantee at least one of three things is going to happen. Either your tractor engine is going to blow up, your barn's going to burn down, or a cow's going to die. And that's what his stories were telling. All the stories about the time when he was driving dump truck when they were building I-77. And he came home and he didn't have time to make his hay. So he made his hay on Saturday. And it was dry and rain was coming on Monday. And he had to go back to driving dump truck. You know how it is. And it's busy. And he had to bail hay on Sunday afternoon. And he bailed hay on Sunday afternoon and that week cows died and then he could tell you he even had people come over because he had backhoes and equipment and they would call him to come bury a cow he'll bury it monday he won't bury it on sunday because if he did his backhoe engine will blow up and he had story after story about this i think that's where they get this right here not even your oxen are to work the barn is to be quiet the fields are to be calm So that's what God expected. There it is. So it was occupational. It was work-related. It was relational. A Sabbath to the Lord. It was generational and all-encompassing for all the people in your household. I want you to notice in verse 11 that it was personal to God. It was personal to God. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and he rested On the seventh day. Now that's very interesting, isn't it? When you go back to Genesis and the pattern of creation, and this is an argument that people who practice seventh day worship and seventh day rest will argue that arguments from creation are timeless. That is, that God's model, God's pattern for taking the the seventh day and resting was based upon the days of creation. Now, the seven-day week is an interesting thing to think about, isn't it? Um, in a minute, we'll comment on this just again, again. But the idea is that the lunar, the lunar month and the moon and the waxing and waning falls into 12 groups of 28, I think it is. And then you can break it down into sevens that way. Listen, this is a new concept for God's people. But God based it. God did it before The law was given. It wasn't based on the law to God and by to people. It was based on his pattern and creation. He completed his work. He sat down and he rested. Now, what does that mean that God rested? Does God get tired? He entered into a completion. It was complete. It was satisfying. It was it was totally finished. His way, his way of marking it. So I think that's interesting that it's based upon a model of God's personal behavior in creation. The, the next thing is get rid of the stink bug for sure. He sprayed me, I think. I don't know where he is. Where is he? Okay, good. You all just watch him and listen. All right, here we go. The fifth thing I want you to see about, the, about what God is saying here, what's he saying to us? Now I got the heebie-jeebies. Is, um, <laughs> is in 11, look at this, for in six days, okay, so it was personal, but then look at the last part of, of verse 11. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and look at the final phrase, and he made it holy. It's set apart, it's holy. The fifth thing I want you to see is that it's spiritual. It's spiritual, it's a holy day. It's a holy day. It's not a secular holiday. It's not a day to be focused on, um, you know, people. 
As we already said, it's directional. It's directional and it's designed to turn us to God and it's holy, it's spiritual. And there's one more sixth thing I want you to see that God is saying here that's not in this text, but he expands upon it. If you turn over to Exodus chapter 31, I want you to see that God also is telling us that this keeping of the Sabbath is capital. It's capital. One of the things that is interesting about this This command is that more than any other command, if you don't keep this command, God says, you're to be killed. Whoa! No wonder the Pharisees were all wound up over trying to make sure everything did, you know, they crossed their T's, dotted their I's, and lived out. They don't want lightning falling down and cracking them. And notice what Exodus chapter 31, beginning at verse 12 where God gives Moses some expanded words about keeping the law of the Sabbath rest, he says in verse 12, And the Lord said to Moses, so we have it on pretty good authority, wouldn't you agree? The Lord said to Moses, so I like my source here, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, now notice the language, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You are set apart. Keep this in mind in a minute because we're going to reference that again. This How the Sabbath set apart God's people from their neighbors. He says, the Lord, I, the Lord, sanctify you. Now verse 14 You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it, look at what it says, shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath. Now notice this. Throughout their generations, as a covenant forever, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Interesting phrasing about our God. He rested and was refreshed. Our our tireless God refreshed. That's interesting. That's your homework. Figure out what that means, okay? And so I want you to see that it was a capital offense not to keep this Sabbath. I'd say God is pretty serious, wouldn't you? We also see, by the way, a parenthesis here for a minute. We see from Exodus chapter 31 that very much the Sabbath command is directed to the Israelites. And he says it's all further generations. We don't have time to look there, but if you study your Bible in prophetic passages in times to come, one of the things that you will learn about is that there is a time that God promised that he, that Jesus, the son of David, would rule and reign literally on the earth for a thousand years from the throne of David. And it's interesting to note that the Sabbath will be observed during the millennial period. God is dealing with Israel. It is something that will be picked up in the millennial period. We'll talk about that just a little bit more about then how do we fit in? What about this era? What's going on? What is God doing with this church? How come we're not held to capital offense? You know, wouldn't it be interesting if the email goes out, you know, pray for the family of Sue Smith. We had to kill her husband this week because he worked on the Sabbath. 
We don't do that. Aren't you glad it's not that way? There's a reason. There's a reason. Let's keep going in our study. That's question number one. What is God saying? He's telling us that this has to do with our work. We need to knock it off. It's relational towards him. It's generational and thorough among our family. It's personally modeled by God. It's personal. It's a spiritual thing. It's a holy day. And there's a capital offense. The second question I want us to ask, though, then is, so then what is God doing when he gives this to Israel? What is it that he's trying to accomplish with them? Why did he do this? When God lays out this fourth commandment, what is he doing? Number one, I want to suggest that he is seeking to insulate a relationship. He is seeking, number one, to insulate a relationship. We know when we read it right away that God is dealing with people. Do you know that people haven't changed, right? That people are the same. And what are we excellent at? We're excellent at at not paying attention to the most important relationships of our lives. Don't you know that? We're great at taking lesser things and, and replacing it with more important things. We're, we can get caught up on, in our work and all kinds of things. And the next thing you know, we're going 90 miles an hour and, and we are living marginless lives. There's no space. There's nowhere to breathe that we can't even think. We're cluttered. We're crowded. We can't clean our garage. We can't get our homework done. We can't get our jobs taken care of. We can't get our dandelions taken care of. We're just pushing, pushing, pushing. And so what do we do? We fill up every square square inch of our day, right? We work after dark with the electric light and we do it Saturday and then we don't get done Saturday. Let's go to the early service so that we can get home Sunday and we can get more done and we've got to go to soccer. Make sure you go to soccer. I think that one of the things God is doing is saying, you are my people and you are built for a love relationship with me. I want to have your attention and I want you to have my attention. And so he insulates them from their own negative tendency of humanity as well as the culture around them. Question, do we live in a culture that is conducive to worship or a culture that is that is sucking the life out of worship? We don't sit still to worship. You have to sit still. Do you know that? Didn't the psalmist say, be still and know that I am God. I'll be with thee. Delight yourself in the Lord. Well, I don't have time to delight myself in the Lord, except I'm in a few minutes here and there as I rush from one place to the other or whatever. And so God wants to insulate us and protect us. Insulation protects, doesn't it? Insulation creates a barrier. He doesn't want his people to be like the world around them. He doesn't want his people to be, to be, have the life sucked out of them. He doesn't want them. And if you use the, you electricians here, if you use the insulation on a wire, he doesn't want us shorting out on other things. He wants the current to flow between us. He wants our attention. He wants us on them. And so by saying, look, you work six days, but on the seventh day, shut it off. And it's my day. Then we focus. Then he's got you. I need your attention that day. He's seeking to insulate a relationship. Clearly, and we've already commented on it. We'll not comment much further. Clearly, number two, he is seeking to commemorate his pattern in creation. He is seeking to commemorate and hold it up as a monument to us that we are to live after his pattern in creation, that there are six days for work and there is one day for rest. Thirdly, I think what he's doing is he is seeking to regulate the health of his people. He's seeking to regulate the health of his people. 
This is where I referenced how the lunar calendar breaks down. And, you know, you could just, we could work on 28-day work weeks, couldn't we? But doesn't it work a lot better? And have you noticed how sleepy Sunday mornings are? When you go six days, seventh day, you've got to come up for air. Some of you who've worked shift work and some of you who've worked multiple jobs and you can't stop and you've worked seven days, nine days, 11 days, 15 days, 17 days. Some of you can tell stories about back when you were, you know, we were down in the coal mines for 41 days straight. Never saw the daylight. I'll tell you something. Those are, those are guys that mentally, emotionally, physically are absolutely depleted. They can't hardly function. They can't hardly keep their tools going. God didn't design us to just crank wide open on 19 volts and keep going. And so he's regulating the health of his people. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 5 and let's look at this for just a little bit longer. Deuteronomy chapter 5. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and then Deuteronomy chapter 5. And notice, as he regulates the health of his people, what his desire is here. This is the giving of the Ten Commandments recorded in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 5, I want you to notice what he says. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, I want you to pick it up at verse 12. Verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day... To keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. We've already read this in Exodus 20. And you're you're not to do your work, your son, your daughter, your servants, your donkey here, not just your uh, ox or any of your livestock. And the sojourner in your gate and your servants, they may rest as well. All right? He calls for rest. There's a great practical value. Let me suggest the fourth reason God is, is laying, what he's laying out to us is he is seeking, number four, to celebrate rest. And I want you to see what he says in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Notice that he adds in the Deuteronomy 5 list something that's not in the Exodus 20 list, and it is this this detail that another reason that God had on his mind for them to celebrate his people, to note, to note the seventh day of rest, is that for 430 years they had been in Egypt and they had been crying out for rest. And they had never gotten any rest. And now God has brought them out of Egypt. And what does he want? How long do you think it takes the children of Israel to lose sight and lose touch with the reality of the fact that God was pulling them out of Egypt back then? It took them just a few weeks, right? They were crying to go back to Egypt. You know, it doesn't take us long to forget and to lose in our thinking the blessings of God upon our lives. Right? And so one of the things God is saying is, I don't ever want you to forget that when you cried out for rest, I'm the one who gave you rest. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. And on the seventh day, every seventh day, you look back and you remember from where you've come. You came out of Egypt. You were lost souls. And now you're able to rest in me and I am your God. It's no longer the old way. It's the new way. And you celebrate this rest that you can find in God. I think we have a word picture shaping up for us here for the New Testament. 
finding their rest in God. By the way, this is as good a time to say it as any, it's an interesting study, and we don't have time to turn there. But you know that God took the Sabbath principle so seriously. Do you remember when Nebuchadnezzar came down from the north and captured uh, Israel, and then they captured Judah after that, and they took him into captivity, and they were in captivity for all those years? Before, Nebuchadnezzar, before Nehemiah came and rebuilt the walls and Ezra built the temple, and they were off into captivity. Do you know why God told them He was going to take them and move them out of their land and make them be captive and scatter them and destroy their homes and destroy their land? Because they violated the Sabbath. Not only did they violate the seventh day Sabbath rest, but there was also God built into the system the seventh year sabbatical. And that every seventh year, they weren't to plow, they weren't to plant seed, they weren't to work. They were to store up for six six years, and then the seventh year, they were to live and rest and renew. And that was the year they were to let their servants go. They were to let people start, they were to forgive debt. What a great system. I know people be borrowing some money for six years, waiting for that seventh year. But think about The health of God's people. The rest of God's people. But Israel denied it and God made them be in captivity seven years for every Sabbath year that they violated. There's a lot of years. I think that's what God is doing. And finally, number five, I think that that it's clear that one of the things God is doing, number five, is he is seeking to separate his people. The Canaanites didn't do this. The Canaanites did whatever they wanted to do. They didn't have a seven-day week even. Only God's people had a seven-day week. Only God's people worked six days and stopped on the seventh day and paid attention to their God. So what is God doing when He lays out the fourth commandment? He's seeking to insulate our relationship from our own weaknesses, our own tendencies. He's seeking to commemorate His pattern of creation. He wants to regulate the health of our people. He knows that we will work ourselves sick. He knows that we will forget about our first love. He knows that we'll be driven by and distracted by lesser things. He wants, them, he wants Israel to celebrate the rest that they find in God that they could never find in the old life in Egypt, away from God. And he's seeking to define his people and separate them out from the rest of the world. A question now that we must answer Okay, so we're trying to understand what God has said. We're trying to understand why he gave this to his people. But here is a question that needs to be answered then. Number three is, why is this not required of the church then today? It sounds pretty good to me. How many of you think every seventh day, let's just shut it off? Just shut her down, man. I think that would be a good idea for most of us. I bet you there'd be a lot less crosswords in our home. There'd be a lot less taking the Lord's name in vain and violating the other commandments. We would have time to think. And when we got back to work on the first day of the week, we would have figured out how we were going to do it because we never stopped to think how we were going to do it. We never had a day of rest. And our spirits would be renewed. from. I just think it's a great idea. Why isn't God commanding that of the church? Why is it not required of the church? Let me just cover this quickly, and let me say, even as I say it, that this does not do justice to this study, but I hope it helps you understand uh, the point. But the Sabbath principle and the Sabbath teaching of the Old Testament is vast and extensive. 
And then, when we get to the New Testament, it's almost completely silent. Reason number one that we do not believe that God called the fourth commandment to be obeyed by the church is that it is, number one, it is nowhere repeated in the New Testament as a principle of the Christian life. It is nowhere repeated for the church in the New Testament as a principle of the Christian life. You're going to notice next week, Ephesians 6.1 will be there. Honor your father and your mother. Next week, we leave the first four commandments, which is teaching us how to love the Lord our God with all our heart. And next week, we start with commandment number five, which is not vertical to God, but horizontal to people. And we begin with the, the final six commands that teach us how to love our neighbor as ourselves. It's driven by love, and the commands of God are not burdensome. Think Matthew and Melanie. Love is not a burden. One of the things that tests our love for God is when obedience is a burden. John 14, 21 says, He that has my commands and keeps them, he it is that loves me. And you know, when you love God, the law of the Lord is a delight. The blessing of obedience fills you up. It doesn't weigh weigh you down. Nowhere in the New Testament is this principle repeated for the Christian life. Ephesians 6, 1, I started to say, is going to say... Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. And it's the first command with a promise. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Decalogue. He's repeating in the New Testament that if you do this, it still holds. And all of the commandments are retaught, restructured, reiterated for the church in the New Testament, but not the fourth commandment. In fact, just the opposite is true. We're taught that we no longer have to pay attention to days. Number two, it was never practiced by the early church following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was never practiced by the early church following the resurrection of Christ. The fourth commandment, the Sabbath command, was superseded by one cataclysmic great event, the resurrection of Christ. I think I better say it now because of the clock. But you need to know, the book of Hebrews, the book of Galatians make it clear that Jesus Christ becomes our Sabbath rest. Remember in Egypt, Israel could find no rest. They were slaves in their past. 430 years slaves, they found their rest in the promised land following God. In the New Testament, we haven't been trapped in Egypt, but we've been trapped in our sin in the past, haven't we? Egypt is a type of the old way. We've crossed over into the promised land when we come to Christ, and Christ is our Sabbath rest. Christ is the one who fills us up. Christ is the one who refreshes us. Christ is the one who renews us in our ways. He's our Sabbath rest. He's the one who kept the law for us. He's the one on his cross where the demands of the law were nailed, as it were, along with all of our sins and covered by the blood of Christ. The holiness of God is satisfied. We can stand before God pure and clean before him. We don't keep a day for rest We live every day in the rest of who we are in Christ. In the New Testament, it was never practiced by the early church. In fact, if you were to look, some of you taking notes might want to write down Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Revelation 1, 10. Those are a couple of verses that we would look at that you can see that there appears to clearly be a shift in their 
pattern of their work week. And I know there was different reasons for when they could worship and when they didn't. But what you then pick up on following the resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's church gathering and God's people getting together on what we call the Lord's Day. And it's the Lord's Day because it's Resurrection Day. It's the first day of the week when Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And it's the Lord's Day. So number one, the New Testament nowhere repeats it as a principle for the Christian life for the church. Number two, it was never practiced by the early church. In fact, uh, along that line, have in your mind, there were all kinds of things in the Old Testament that were no longer practiced after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in fact, the whole book of Galatians was written to the Galatian church because they started to go back to the Old Testament law to keep all of the sacrifices and to keep record of the calendar days and the feasts and to do everything for their righteousness. And Paul said, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who's bewitched you? Who's tricked you? No, you don't go that way. The law is fulfilled in Christ. We now have this brand new freedom in Christ. And we don't go back to the keeping of the law. So there were sacrifices and holy days and things that were also left behind following the resurrection of Christ. Finally and thirdly, it was never preached by the apostles. In the instruction to the church, we never have Paul or Peter Timothy teaching or preaching to the church. But what we do have, turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 5. What we do have is we have clear instruction. In Romans 14, 5, we see that there's a whole new way of looking at these things. And if you want to hold one day more special than another, you're allowed to do that. But you're not allowed to hold somebody else to your day that's more important than another day. And the Apostle Paul says in Romans 14, verse 5, we'll catch it. This whole passage is interesting and pertains to this. One person, Romans 14, 5, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one of you should be fully convinced in his own mind. We could go to Colossians chapter 2, we could go to Hebrews chapter 4. And he says essentially the same thing, that in Christ... We have our fulfillment and we have our rest and we no longer have to keep a Sabbath rest day. So question, as we conclude. Are we or are we not supposed to have a special day of the week? Sunday, it's the Lord's Day, that's the model of the New Testament. Are we supposed to adopt some of the principles of the Sabbath day rest and bring it over to Sunday. So, can I play football on Sunday? When I was a little boy, we couldn't go swimming on Sunday. Why can't we go swimming, Ma? Because it's Sunday. I know, but it's hot. All right? Can I tell you that, yes, I can tell you, and I will tell you, that the New Testament is relatively silent about this. There is no teaching directly in the New Testament that tells us to take the the emphasis of the Sabbath rest and transfer it over to Sunday. On the other hand, what does it say in the New Testament is to be the center? We're to lay down our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy. So the point is, we're supposed to live seven days of Sabbath. 
We're to be all consumed. It's like people get all bent out of shape about the Old Testament tithe. Are we going to do 10%? Are we going to do 12%? Are we going to do 17%? And what does it teach in the New Testament? In the New Testament, it teaches that it all belongs to God. You want the Old Testament or the New Testament? We want the New Testament. Say New Testament. Always. So, if every day is God's day, and if there's a Lord's day that was practiced by the early church, and if all of me is to be surrendered to God, and if all of my money is owned by God, doesn't it make sense that somewhere along the line, there would be this refreshment, this renewal, this time? I have just a couple thoughts that I think are based on New Testament principles as we conclude. One is, it's a warning. You need to know that the Lord's day... Keeping the Lord's Day special, and every day is to be special, but you know as well as I do, it won't be. Keeping the Lord's Day special is culturally difficult. Culturally difficult. It's a huge sports day. It's a huge day to do the jobs around the house that you haven't been able to get to. And I wonder if Jesus came and walked around our neighborhoods, and Jesus came to our house, and, and he said, yeah, what do you, you know, when do you worship me? What do you, oh, it's the Lord's Day. But for us, the Lord's Day is this little checklist, kind of like the Pharisees. They had their little checklist. I only picked up half a fig. Is I run over to the early service, get my hour and 27 minutes in, and then I leave because... Now I can go to the lake and go boating, but I don't feel good about it if I don't go to church. I appreciate that commitment. I don't think it's wrong to have a sense that I need to go to church. I need to hear the message. I need to sing. It's good. But I'm wondering if if this whole thing of having a day that we fill up so that we're marginless, like the rest of our culture... How many guys in the culture go to work totally exhausted on Monday morning because of all the partying and all the work and all the fishing catfish by, can, by lantern light all night long and no sleep? And Monday morning dragging off to work. So what's the... Somewhere along the line, it seems to me God's people need to be able to narrow it down. I think that, number two, a meaningful Lord's Day experience has to be Intentional. It has to be intentionally planned. And I would encourage us, not the keeping of the law, not so that it looks like the Sabbath necessarily, but on God's pattern of creation, that he worked six days and he rested, on God calling his people to have a day of relationship and and love renewal, that we have this Lord's Day where we remind ourselves anew and afresh for the new week who we are in Christ. Don't you find that helpful? I mean, by the end of the week, you're fatigued, you're beat down. Don't you look forward to being with God's people? Don't you look forward to seeing your brothers and sisters in Christ and letting the word of God wash you? It seems like God's people should be intentional about that. And it seems to me with a little bit of thought, families, we could do a better job of just keeping our focus on Christ and preparing our hearts for another six days of hard work. We have to be intentional. I think, thirdly, the need for spiritual refreshment is real. I'm um, duplicitous in my preaching right now because I've been living really marginless lately. Fatigued, 
But I'm calling us, me and our church, we've got to think about this, right? We need spiritual energy. We need spiritual renewal. We need time with the Word of God. We rise before dark. We rush all day. We work until after dark. Maybe Sunday's a day to watch less TV, not more TV. Maybe Sunday's a day that can just be a day of focusing on our family and just um, encouraging and building each other up. A day when we're we're not short-tempered and sleepless and grouchy and crabby, but it's a day of renewal and growing in our love for one another. It seems like this love for Christ shouldn't be a burden. I don't think we should make it ritualistic. And so somebody asks, well, can I? Because somebody here is planning to mow their lawn this afternoon. And you're now you're thinking, I don't know whether it's to mow my lawn or not. <laughs> if your conscience is clear, you can mow your lawn. Romans 14.5 On the other hand, maybe you can mow your lawn another day. Take time to worship further today or be with God's people, be with the church family, have people over and not mow your lawn. I don't know how that works. On the other hand, maybe your lawn really needs mowed and you have an ox in the ditch. Then you better get the ox out of the ditch and mow it. So I don't have a checklist for Sunday behavior. All I know is that we shouldn't come dragging in here and have meaningless worship because our hearts aren't prepared on the Lord's day and that there should be something about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that renews and refreshes us and that every week we just, we just get refreshed by that and it's a renewal time. And in that sense, it's a pattern of seventh-day Sabbath rest. But I want to end with this thought. Going back to Egypt, some of you have never entered into the rest the ultimate rest of resting in Christ for your salvation. And you're working seven days a week. You're driven seven days a week. Your mind is plagued. You're never at rest because you're trying to be good enough to please God. You're trying to work your way to heaven. Can I tell you that God's word says clearly you cannot work your way to heaven. It's not by works, lest anybody should be proud of their works and boast about it. But it is only by grace through faith in Christ alone where you come to the cross and he has taken care of your sin by his blood. By faith, you believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross in your place. He substituted himself in. And there you find rest at the foot of the cross. You lay down your burden of sin. Get out from underneath the burden you're carrying of sin. That's, you need rest from that. You need rest from the struggle of trying to save yourself. Come to Christ. He is is your Sabbath rest. Christ is the one who will wash you and renew you and refresh you. Amen? Come to Christ today, my friend. If you don't know him, join the family of God. Let Jesus be your all in all. Become a new creation in Christ. Come to Christ and like Paul in Galatians 2.20 say, It's not I that lives, nevertheless it is Christ that lives in me. And and you're, you're one of Christ. Let's bow in prayer, please. First to the Christian here, how about your priorities? How about your love? Would it be a burden for you to write a hundred love notes in a hundred days to your Lord Jesus right now? You're that distracted? Is your walk with Christ burdensome right now? Why? It might partly be because there's no rest in your life because of because of the marginless living you've been doing. 
And it may be the Lord's Day is a day of refreshment that it needs to become. A time of spiritual renewal every Lord's Day to be ready for the new week. Some of you Christians are running yourself ragged because there's no time for refreshment. You need to clean up your Lord's Day act. Maybe right now is a good time to commit to that. Secondly, some of you are living in Egypt. You're far from God. You need to come to the promised land today and find your rest. You've been a slave to sin long enough. And every day you're a slave to sin and you have no rest from that. Come to Christ. Break the bonds and the chains of that sin and find your rest in Christ. He fulfills the law for you. He is our Sabbath rest. Come plunge in. Be saved today. Admit your sinfulness. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. Confess him as your Savior today. Unshackle the burden. Find your rest in Christ. Stop working for your salvation. Receive it as a free gift that it is and that the Bible teaches so clearly. Right now, you cry out to God and say, God, I find my rest in Christ. I want release from the burden of my sin. I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he died for my sin. I believe that he rose again. I believe that he is my Sabbath rest. Make me your child. You do business with God. And so, Father, forgive us for just the incredible pace at which we live. And Father, give us the discernment to establish biblical priorities. Give us the self-control that we need to say no to the lesser things. And show us, Father, how to, to bring a rest to our lives as believers in the Lord Christ, that that we would fall in love with Jesus again. Not just be doing all the right things, but that we would just be filled with love for Christ and our relationship would be insulated. Father, for those who need need freedom from the bondage of sin and the slavery of the old ways, free them today and bring them into your rest in Christ, in salvation, I pray. Do a work. We need it. In Jesus' name, amen.